Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Guys, I'm right here, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 248, and we are going to listen to part two of Paul DeCarly's interview with uh, myself and Mr. Clint Wells, <laughs> ours truly. We're going to be part of it, huh? Yeah, I think uh, I think the fans are going to be really surprised to hear us uh, talking to him. It's uh, you know it's pretty mind-blowing front-page stuff. You know, when I edit these interviews, I, I do always take note of, like, here's what you want to see when you have a guest on the show is I see all of our waveforms, and here's what it looks like with Paul, and it, really any guest we ever have. Basically, their waveform is just a huge chunk of information. Yes. And mine and yours are like, uh-huh, yeah. Totally. And what was, and what was that like? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, well, and, and that's also a good sign of a good guest as well. When you, when you zoom sure. out and see them, that means, that means they're giving us, not only us, but, but our listeners, some great info. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul's super fun to talk to. You guys are going to like part two. We talk about... Working with Randy Staub, we talk about cunning stunts. He did editing for Reload Garage Inc., SM. He talks about what was challenging about Until It Sleeps. He talks about working on Kiss Alive 3. He did the Echo Brain record. We talk about Green Day, Hailstorm, you know, the legacy of his work with Metallica. He worked with My Chemical Romance. Right. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's jam packed with content. We'll put it that way. Jam packed. And in the meantime, we're going to knock out a little bit of this housekeeping, but we're going to move fast because we want to get to the Paul interview. We want to get to the main sauce. Look, That's right. Look, listen, we, this is an appetizer, you guys. Like, you right. know, the appetizer is good, but it's never a full meal. We just want, we, and we want, to, we want to finish those appetizers so that main course comes. I mean, we could keep bringing out garlic knots. Are we, we're just, this is the garlic knots portion. Yeah, chips and salsa, garlic knots, you know, maybe a side salad. A side salad, right? We're, going to, we're trying to watch our caloric intake a little bit. Good God. First of all, and also, first of all, I'd like to just point out to you and uh, to our listeners who can't see us right now, I am in full lounge position. You are in lounge position. I'm in, in business position. You're in, bi- you're, well, Biz as business as you can be with a graphic t-shirt and tattooed sleeves. <laughs> I have a face-to-face tour shirt from 96 and a bunch of tattoos and an ace hat and a guitar sitting next to me. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm pretty corporate. Well, I hope everyone's okay out there. We're going to continue with the garlic knots portion. I like that it's garlic knots. Uh, you will need some napkins. They're a little sticky, but yeah, they're little delicious. Sticky, little oily. Oh, they're great. They're amazing. They're delicious. What can we say? Well, let's get through it. All right. So um, we have a couple of new patrons. Let's say thank you to them first. Because the patrons, they make the Metal Up Your Podcast world go round. I mean, they're, the, we say? They're, they're the fuel for this engine, you know? I want to say thank you to Kevin Russell and Katie Gilbert. Both hopped on the train. I like to think of the Patreon train as like coming through your town. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's not going slow, but it is going fast enough to where you can run alongside of it and hop on, kind of like a hobo. Right, right. Yeah. If you've got if you got your stick and your little pouch over your shoulder exactly. and you want to hop you want to hop the Patreon train, maybe get a little taste of some garlic knots, we got them ready for you. <laughs> maybe you work for a carnival, maybe you're running from the law. 
maybe you're just trying to hop on a, a cool train where cool shit's happening. Maybe you hear in the in the distance, you hear the, the you know the whistle of the train, chugga, and then chugga. you hear our, and then you hear our sultry voices doing a little garlic knot housekeeping, and That's you're right. like, I need to get on that fucking train. That's exactly what happens over there. Yeah, and listen, you don't even need to buy a ticket. You know, you just you just gotta hop hop on a board. You just have to be able to to run fast enough to jump in. But <clears throat> either Ethan or I or some other uh, Metal Up Your Podcast Patreon members will be there to pull. You know, we're like the other hobos that have been on the train for a minute. We'll pull you up. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they, they leave no one. Let, no one gets left behind on this train unless yeah, no unless you want to. So thank you to them. We are doing an iTunes contest. Well, we did one for the month of August. It's over now. Where if you left us a positive review, we would send you a Metal Up Your Podcast patch. Well, that is ended. I want to read. The names now. If you hear your name, write into metal up your podcast show at gmail.com and say, Hey, you read my name on the thing, send me the thing, and you're gonna need to send us your address. Here are the names of the winners of the iTunes patch contest. Gerardo Rodriguez, Phantom Lord 03, RK Phil, Kyle 1984, Smoky Musket, T Danny B, and Cheez Its. Cheez Its. Give it up. Give it up for Cheez Its. Give it for Cheez Its. Who doesn't love a good Cheez It? Thank you guys for leaving the review. Now, you can leave the review for Frizzle out of the goodness of your own heart. It goes a long way. Right. I believe, I believe we have over 600 positive reviews over there, Ethan. I know. It's pretty amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll check you know, here and there, and uh, the number keeps climbing. We're very appreciative because it does help you know, us get out there a little bit more than you know, we were like, five years ago almost at this point. Yeah, so totally. We're appreciative. We love you guys, and uh, you got some patches coming your way. All right. And we're on all the socials. You know what they are. Go check us out there. That's a good place to keep up with what's going on in our worlds. Um, a few things going on. The Night Between Party is happening September 25th, Louisville, Kentucky. And I don't think we have a venue still, but that party's still happening. We get questions about it each week. Someone asked if they can still go, if they are, if they did an RSVP. Yes, you can. Someone asked if they had to buy tickets. No, you don't. Um, it is a free party to anyone who would like to go. Exactly. And uh, some of our gracious, gracious friends and listeners are are organizing the whole thing. We we are kind of helping from afar, since we can't be there. We'll be on tour working with Morgan Wade, but it's going to be a good time either way. We'll be we shall be there in spirit. Yeah. So <clears throat> put that in your calendars. Another My... cool thing, real quick. Sorry to interrupt you, Clint. Another cool thing about the party is uh, I did notice that the uh, the t shirt campaign for the Burrito Gate shirts ended. So let's hope that those things show up in time. Yeah, the shirts, the Night Between shirts that were designed by Tim Brown are coming. Tim Brown also designed uh, Zombies for our tour for the rest of the Morgan Wade band, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about even making some t-shirts out of that. Right, it's yeah, just we a got lovely guitar time. picks. It's a lovely time. We're talking about custom guitar picks, custom t-shirts. Dude, I mean, th th those are the things that happen upon this train, you guys. We're talking about being on tour, which is exciting. <clears throat> Big news in the Dave Matthews world last night, by the way. Last night was an interesting evening. Dave Matthews Band plays a very um, a highly anticipated three-night run at the Gorge every year. Yeah. They call it, Ethan, you'll appreciate this, Labor Dave Weekend. Labor Dave Weekend. I back it. Now, the Gorge is about three hours outside of Seattle. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's one of the most beautiful venues ever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about twenty to 30,000 folks out there. And the Dave Matthews Band, they sell out three nights of that every year. It's a big destination show. It's, it's the one that people are most excited about. Check this out. Couple hours before doors last night, announcements made that some of the band members have been exposed to COVID, and they're going to be performing in an alternate format. Oh, no other details. Alternate format. So, 
Hologram. Dave Matthews Band. Holograms. <laughs> they had Tupac there, actually. So DMB Twitter, as I will refer to it from now on, which is what I mean by that is just internet Dave Matthews community. Yeah. So DMB Twitter, which I'm very ensconced in, as a lurker mostly. I mostly lurk. Okay, that's fine. Uh, we're all going, what does this mean? And really my only friend in the world that I can actually really talk to about this is friend of the show, Dan Cantor. Yeah. So I immediately texted Dan. I said, dude, what's going on with the gorge? And so... What came to pass is the drummer and bass player tested positive and could not perform. Interesting. So they had to, that was like a, a big deal. Like they can't cancel that show. I mean, that's just a show you cannot cancel. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they ended up pulling a few musicians from the opening bands uh, and kind of just making it work. It actually ended up turning into kind of a special show, but man. That's pretty cool. And I mean, God, I couldn't imagine having to even cover Carter's drum parts for one song. That they dude's are a, just, a yeah. monster. They're, they're just not the kind of band where you can really do that. And the bass playing, honestly, is, is up there too. Mm -hmm, now, are sure. there better drummers or drummers as good? Yes, I'm not saying that. But as you just admitted, I mean, that's just not a band you just hop in with. That's a huge, yeah. Unless, unless you're a badass drummer that's in a Dave Matthews cover band or something. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I can play all these things, no problem. Well, on the message boards, you know, there's a couple of tribute bands, just like with Metallica, you know, we, we were friends with a bunch of the tribute band guys. And, yeah, you know, they were, they were some of those guys were like, man, you know, their techs have my number. They want to give me a call. I'll do it, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, well, what they, they have a guy named Buddy Strong who's been on keys ever since Boyd left the band. And I guess he's a pretty dope drummer too. So he played drums for some of the songs. Cool. They had the opening band. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Alan Stone was one of the openers, but the first of three opener was a band from New Orleans called Dumpsta Funk. Dumpsta Funk. Dumpsta Funk. And I'm sure they're sick. I mean, it's just like a funk band of veterans from New Orleans. Tony yeah. Hall's the bass player. He played bass for Bob Dylan forever. It's like these older cats. I'm, I'm sure, sure it's, it's sick. I'm sure it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also RIP to who's the um, reggae cat who passed away? I know a lot Dude, of a lot of people were. Uh, Paying homages to him. Yeah, Lee Scratch Perry, man. Um, he is he is one of the very, very, very few, uh, if not, I would say he's probably the king, man. He he, he essentially invented dub reggae. Mm. He was one of the first producers in Jamaica to start fucking with tape delays and all that kind of stuff and doing um, basically remixes, which is what became dub music. You know, he would take existing songs and get all the all the the multi track. And make these remixes, which became dub, and so huge pioneer in the reggae world, a huge loss. You know, of, of course, I'm a big reggae fan, as you all know. And yeah, I, I immediately put some Lee Scratch Perry on the turntable. Was texting a few buddies that are, are, are big in the reggae world as well, and and just like man, I mean, he was 85, he was up there, you know, but he was a uh, a legend for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking about Charlie Watts also passing away, yeah. and, and um, <clears throat> you know, we're just of an age where a lot of these old guard you know pioneers mm -hmm. of this music we love so much it's just you know time time waits for no man either. yeah absolutely it's very true and uh if you want to uh, uh, listen to any of lee scratch perry's stuff out there you guys the first two bob marley records were produced by him oh sick um, i didn't know that yeah and and they, and they were kind of the lesser known ones um before chris blackwell started producing his stuff uh that, uh, that was you know island records but um, yeah, there's one called Soul Rebels that Lee Scott Perry produced, and it's it's awesome. When these people pass away, one of the silver linings that that I find is that it's just a really great excuse to pull out their records. And, Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of great music being made right now. I'm I'm loving a lot of the the pop stuff coming out. Um, but it's been nice to throw on some Old Stones records. Going to be nice to put on some early Bob Marley. Yeah. 
some early dub stuff. And absolutely. I don't know, it's just, it's just a good excuse to think about these people and their work and yeah, how it's absolutely, impacted man. the world. Yeah, and, and to kind of hop, you know, or add to that, I had a good text convo with John Davis the other day, mm-hmm. uh, a good buddy of ours, from Super Drag, Lisa Memory, all that stuff, but um, he's a huge reggae fan and we were texting about it and he was kind of down like, you know, man, this is, I know he's old, but like, what a loss, you know? And and I just said something that he really dug, I guess. And I just said, man, I said, the beauty of music is that this is this is how these people will live forever. And we can always visit them, you know? Yep. And it's tr- true with anyone that passes on. You can listen to their work. They leave it behind. They can't take it. We don't have to take any of that shit with us. So I'm grateful for that as a musician and as a music fan that, you know, when something like this happens, it's, it's sad, it's a loss, but you get to immediately, in seconds, pull up that music on your computer, go on, you know, on the turntable or whatever, and just appreciate it. Yeah. And don't pull it up on your computer, by the way. <laughs> I mean, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. But I, I, would say, I, I would say take a break from the computers and, and put a tape in or, or put a record on and, and get back to where you once belonged. And now I think what else is cool about that, and we'll, we'll only mention this briefly, but you know, you and I get to like participate in the lineage of that at, at whatever level, at whatever scale. And I've got a new single dropping on my birthday, this, I guess this week on the 9th, yeah. uh, called Lo- A New Lunar Satan Jam. Lord of the Vampires, you did the drums on it. Yep. Same cast of characters from the LP, and uh, and you've got your record that's coming out too. So Gold yeah, to October Gold West, 1st. instrumental tunes. Yeah. And as you're listening to this, my record is available, available for pre-order on iTunes, Bandcamp, or pre-saving on all the stream, streaming sites, whatever. So it's, uh, it's, it's coming soon, man. And we make all these little thingies because of people like Charlie Watts and, and you know... Uh, Lee Perry. Dude, Lee Perry. So it feels good to just participate. It yeah, feels like it feels like holding their hands from far away, you know. It feels it like really we're does. all we're all like in a little chain together. Yeah, I agree, man. And and there's you know there's certain things that you know maybe some people hear or maybe if you point it out that it kind of makes sense as far as influence from people like that. Like for instance, on my last record, "Let It Burn." Anytime you hear uh, like a a good like a diamond on a guitar, like a, just hitting a chord, and there's repeats, and it goes it starts doing that kind of it's like the dub sound. That's Lee Scratch Perry right there. Yeah, you know, and you put that all over you. It's all oh, over it, the cover, our world black and stuff. Oh yeah, I, I, that's one of my favorite things to do. I don't care if it's repetitive. I just really love it. It's so vibey. All right, well, cool, man. Um, another cool thing that we're not going to put on this episode, but I just want to let people know that it is it is done. It has been completed. Is the Ben Zimmerman orchestral version of the Unforgiven Two, mm-hmm. which he generously um, we commissioned him to. He did the shortest straw, which we put on our episode last week. And now we have the Unforgiven 2. We're all debuting it together, not on this episode, but on next week's episode. But I just want to let you babies out there know that it is done and it is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it sounds really good. Okay, and I think that's it for the housekeeping. Is there anything you want to add? Anything going on? Um, nothing's really going on in my world. I feel good. Um, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm excited to get back to playing shows with you and Morgan yeah. and the band. And, uh, Me too. We've got some cool stuff coming up, and uh, we're pretty we had excited Bonnaroo, about it. We had Bonnaroo cancel on us, didn't it we? did, yeah. It got pretty flooded and pretty gnarly. There were a lot... Man, we all know that comment sections are usually a cesspool, but um, yes. there was a few really entertaining entertaining ones that I... Uh, it's just It goes to show there's a lot of people out in the world that have zero idea how festivals work. Yeah, and or, or you know, well, but it's sunny today. What's the big deal? It's like, well, you don't really get it. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we we couldn't play Bonner. I was really looking forward to that, but we got some other cool shit coming up. Absolutely, and you know, congrats to our buddy Morgan. She signed a major label deal with Sony, so we've been doing a lot of kind of behind the scenes content capture for Sony and mm-hmm. 
getting ready for this big fall tour. But yeah, it's like, you know, people don't understand festivals for sure. Yeah. And people do not understand weather. <laughs> they don't understand <laughs> know, right? that the Bonnaroo folks can't predict weather like hurricanes and that any festival like that is subject to it. We're, we're at mercy to Mother Nature. And yeah, you really are. It's, it's, and yeah. when the ground is so flooded that you can't get any trucks back there, that means that no staging, no equipment, no bands. Well, and, and even the stuff that was already set up, because you know, they're, obviously they're you know they're spending days, sometimes weeks, putting sure. together these things. When the ground, especially here in Tennessee, we get a lot of rain. It's not just the, you know the remnants of Hurricane Ida that you know. It's like we get a lot of rain per year, and the ground was already oversaturated, and stuff like that's dangerous. You know, like that much weight from a stage, you know, or a truck or something like that. That could you know de-level a stage or something and, and people can get hurt you know it's yeah. it's it's for yeah, safety right. it's nothing to you know i don't know anyways it would have been did, fun it would have been fun i know i've never played bonnaroo i've never even been same um i did see someone tweet that was pretty funny it was like all right everybody in nashville get ready for some random hugs because there's a lot of people stranded in your town with a lot of drugs <laughs> <laughs> that they weren't able to use at the whatever the tame and polish show i uh, know all right, the easiest way to get a hold of us is our email address, metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. Don't forget to put show in there. Show. Metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. We're going to read about five emails from some uh, some listeners, dip into the community, see how everyone's doing, and then we're going to hear our uh, part two of our conversation with Paul. Let's do it. Okay. 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 All right, our first email is from Katie Gilbert, who is a new patron, by the way. Thank you, Katie. Hi, Katie. Uh, she says, subject, I appreciate you guys. Yes. Three exclamation points there. Hi, guys. I started listening to the show a couple weeks ago after trying to find new stuff to listen to while a music history podcast I listened to is on hiatus. You're not going to find that here, Katie. Um, <laughs> not necessarily music history. We do some music history, but no hiatus. I mean, I, I think this is a music history podcast. It really is. Actually, you're right. You're right. Especially the year, the year in the live series. But... Uh, but we, no hiatus is here. We've never taken a break. Um, and she says, I'm, I'm getting pretty burnt on true crime podcasts, so I stumbled upon Metal Up Your Podcast, and I really like everything you guys do. Um, I'm so excited to catch up on what you guys have put out and what you put out in the future. Much love. Thank you, Katie. That's so uh-huh. kind of you. Well, Katie, thank you for hopping on that Patreon train. Now, when I describe the patrons as hobos, <clears throat> I mean it in the most loving, like endearing American tradition of hobos that you can mean it. Sure, and and I'm one of them. Agree. Now, yeah, did I, can I put every all of my worldly possessions in a sack on the end of a, a stick? Yes. Yeah, they're there all the time. Do do you and I share like a canister of like hot soup that we found somewhere in, in some passing town in Slidell? Yeah, of course, of course we do. Of course we do. Is it mostly backwash from the years? Yeah. Is it hydrating sometimes? <laughs> Are there nutrients <laughs> in it? I think so. I don't know. I, I so don't. Anyway, feel, I'm not sick yet. <laughs> Anyway, thank you, Katie, for the sweet thank email you. and for becoming a patron. It really means a lot to us. Alex, I believe, is from yep from Jolly Old UK. Right, and it says greetings, England. greetings, Ethan and Clint from the Jolly Old UK. Just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed all the recent shows. Having you guys downloaded every week with your audio gold is always a treat. As you know from many of my emails, Iron Maiden vie with Metallica for my affections. It's been the one constant in my life. I mention this because as I write this, it is four days until Maiden's brand new studio album. Sinjutsu drops, and I'm as excited now as I was as a 10-year-old when I first got Seventh Son of a Seventh Son or Injustice for All for the first time. 
My question is, what was the album you were most excited about coming out? Not just Metallica, any album. Did you avoid spoilers or reviews like I have with the new Iron Maiden? In closing, just wanted to say how blessed I feel to have my two favorite bands still active, still kicking ass, and not living off any kind of legacy vibe. New material still. Love you guys. Thank you for the show as always. Take care. Alex Maidstone, England. So, Good, good question. First of all, I just want to say I appreciate um, the gratitude for being able to step back and say, wow, two of my favorite bands are still putting out new albums that are good. Like mm -hmm. That is some great perspective. I think about that often. I, for me, the two bands I think about a lot are Metallica and Pearl Jam. Right, right. And I and even Dave to a certain extent, I get it. That, that bores people, but and I know that a lot of heavy people don't like Pearl Jam that much, but they're still making albums I really like. Pearl Jam's last album, Gigaton, is really, really it's good. Fantastic. I, obviously and obviously everyone knows that last Metallica record was great. But yeah. Yeah, I'm with you with Pearl Jam because they're like Metallica, there's a long usually a long time between albums, so the anticipation grows for sure. Uh right. well, you know, one of my favorite bands, The Living End. I'm always anytime I hear about them putting on another record which which is becoming you know more distant between albums so that anticipation anticipation it gets you know higher and higher for me so what's in that yeah i think you and i still still get excited for albums like i i was really excited for the new hall the dude the new halsey album first of all produced by trent reznor cool it is so good dude i saw you um, post about that and a couple other records i need to check it out yeah, I mean, all the, all the, you know, all the, they're not obscure artists. These are some of the biggest artists in the world, these badass females. Uh, mm -hmm. Lord's new album, Solar Power, Lana Del Rey, Kim Charles Over the Country Club, Billie Eilish, Happier Than Ever, and then Halsey's, which Halsey's is called If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power. Wow, that's a great which title. I, which I love. Such a great title, dude. Such a good title. Um, so I'm still excited. There's still great stuff coming out. Um, and then uh, all of my, all of my little bands that I love, if Metallica has a new album or Pearl Jam or Dave, I get stoked. Yeah, for um, sure. What's an album that pokes out to you? We won't spend too long on this, but maybe just from childhood, like, like I remember when Use Your Illusion one and two came out. Oh yeah, I was a sure. huge Appetite fan. I was a kid. I loved Paradise City. I loved the video for Patience, and to me, that was an event. Mm -hmm. um, Load and Reload were events. I'm trying to think. Is there a record that pokes out for you? Yeah, probably like Nirvana in Utero. In Utero um, was big. What was that? Ninety four. 94 i believe yeah because you know like a lot of people like you know i didn't know the the record bleach at the time and i was still kind of listening to just just only like metal and stuff so when i heard someone's like teen spirit that was my introduction so the anticipation of their next record was like oh my god this is gonna be great or like in high school i'd say like maybe rancid's outcome the wolves which is the, mm -hmm. arguably their biggest record produced by jerry finn and because uh, <clears throat> I was already on that rancid train, so I heard that was coming out. And this is, uh, uh, you know, this is back before smartphones, obviously, or we, before we even had the internet. So this was like walking into Tower Records and seeing like the coming soon wall. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, Nirvana's been on another record, you know, or you yeah. see it in a magazine or maybe, maybe MTV News or something. Yeah. Um, in terms of spoilers and stuff, I, I guess we kind of come from an era where there wasn't a lot of opportunity for that. Yeah, for sure. You were only gonna you were only gonna really hear about it if you read about it in a in a magazine, or mm -hmm. maybe they had a video out before the album. Yeah, and but even um, in, even in mid to late nineties, though MTV culture wasn't as powerful because it started to slip into kind of the early forms of what it is now. The, the you know the 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 TRL the 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 audience got a little younger. Boy bands, and right? It was I felt like it was either boy bands or Limp Biscuit. Like for a long time, it 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 wasn't oh, like definitely. the way it was and. Late '80s, early '90s, when you were seeing Van Halen and Guns and yeah, yeah, Pearl, oh, yeah, Pearl no, that, Jam, and, that late '90s, know. early 2000s era was definitely boy bands, pop yeah. girl artists, and Limp Bizkit. 
Well, it's a good question, and I'm excited for all of you uh, Iron Maiden fans out there. I haven't checked out the album. You know, I'm not. The, I don't pretend to be the biggest Iron Maiden like yeah. aficionado. So, it, well, it just came out as you're listening to this, to it. The album's out. Um, I listened to the first single they put out, and it was fantastic. Oh, good. It sounds. I mean, it's 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 Maiden. It's what they do. You know, it's awesome. Like, Maiden to me is very similar to maybe with the exception of one or two records is similar to ACDC, where they kind of just have their thing and it yeah. just chugs along, and it's awesome. Yeah, and Bruce sounds great, by the way. Awesome. I love to hear that. Oh, yeah. Good for them. All right. Next email. Next email is from Neil Foley, who is also a patron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hello, brothers. Just a quick one. I was wondering if you guys saw Brian Johnson, a Life on the Road series. There's one with Lars from HQ and a few other artists, including uh, Dolly Parton, Mick Fleetwood, Mark Knopfler. Quite a, quite a good watch if you've not seen it. Uh, Neil's from Bedfordshire, UK. Bedfordshire. Um, I have seen those episodes. Um, I'm, I'm not positive where they're streaming right now, but there's some pretty long clips you can see on YouTube and stuff. And it's awesome. It's just Brian Johnson just being a, a a fan of music, a fan of rock and roll, a fan of touring, and a fan of other artists. And it's just them shooting the shit, you know, about touring. He's, he stuff. seems so cool. Um, so cool. There's one with Dave Grohl too at, at, at their HQ, which is awesome too. I, I have, we have Sling. Do you know what Sling is? It's yeah. like a, you pay. 50 bucks a month and it's basically cable yes we have we do the same thing but youtube tv the the channel that the this show comes on is called access tv that's it and uh i catch them occasionally you know i really have only seen the um roger daltrey one and okay. i'm not really a big who guy like I, I love the who they i i place them in a in you know a, a position of honor and esteem mm -hmm. they're big songs i love i have some of the you know i have quadrophena i have tommy i have some of the big ones but they're not really one of those bands for me the way Zeppelin was, for example. Sure. Um, so I was surprised. I loved the Roger Daltrey one. I just, I, I've never really seen Brian Johnson talk. I know, and right? and you're totally right. He's such a, um, he. It's just really clear he loves music. He's like such a fan, mm -hmm. and obviously he's been in just one of the most badass bands of all time for so long. Yeah. Um, and Back in Black, his first album with them from 1980 is. I mean, probably top five hard rock album. Oh yeah, for pound. I mean, it's. I think it's in the top five or ten of best-selling records of all time. It's insane. no no other band in history has done the one-two punch that they did with 1979's Highway to Hell with a different singer mm -hmm. into 1980 different singer Brian Johnson back in black. Yeah, no, no, no band has because those are probably their two best albums. I mean, arguably for sure. I mean, I mean, obviously, even their new record "Power Up" is kick ass. But I mean, you can't fuck with those two records. You just no. can't. There's and and not only do they contain just some of the greatest like rock songs, they're some of the best sounding albums too. And oh, kind of for kind of for different reasons because starting with 1980, right? You get that Mutt Lang thing. Mm -hmm. Well, he did "Highway to Hell" as well. Oh, he did. Okay, well, he that did, would explain yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, but wow. I mean, those those records, especially on vinyl, like I, I've got a. It's actually an Australian pressing. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> no animals were harmed in the vegan cheese. Uh, uh, I, uh, I was in Australia on tour and I found a press. Uh, well, they just call it a pressing, but to me, it's an Australian pressing. They they use Nutella there because they don't use because no animal proteins were used in the peanut butter. So well, we put Nutella on our toast here. Yeah, and and, and Vegemite as well, but just a little uh, bit. Vegemite, yeah, it's made of vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> but I was gonna say. I'm pretty sure your wife just walked by shaking her head. By the way, Isabel, were you just shaking your head in, in disapproval? Ethan said he saw. Ethan said he saw it. I did. What is what's yeast? She says Vegemite is yeast. Oh, it is. She's right. She's right. Uh, Vegemite's yeast. Uh, uh. It's actually. 
<laughs> she just left the room. <laughs> She's out. Um, no, I was going to say is uh, not too long ago, I put Black and Black on the turntable and had it pretty fucking cranked. Yeah. And that's one of those records, like the louder it is, the better it sounds. Like you really start to hear some shit in there that's like, or, or, or with headphones on. And especially in the drums, man. Like the way that Phil Rudd's kit sounds on those two records is just unbelievable. I, I remember, this is the last little <clears throat> tangent about this, but when I was like 17, 18, the little rock band I was in, uh, we got an opportunity to go to Baltimore to make our first album. First time in a studio, didn't know anything. Uh, we did not play to any clicks. Uh, the big the big thing that was there was um they had that binaural microphone that Pearl Jam used for their album binaural yeah which is like a it looks like a head and the microphones are in the ears yeah anyway we're making that album and one of the engineers this is at the Peabody Conservatory of Music in in Boston or Baltimore rather and uh this really uptight like classical music guy he hated he hated like Western rock music yeah. hated it thought it was the stupidest shit ever. But I do remember him telling me, this is like really impressionable, because I really, not only, uh, I just really looked up to this guy. I don't know why, looking back on it now, he seems kind of <laughs> like a snobby douchebag. But at the time, I really, you know, he was like older than me and in the music world. And I remember him telling me, he was like, this was after a big tirade of his where he was just shitting on like all the music that I loved, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I remember him saying, but the album Highway to Hell is one of the greatest sounding albums I've ever heard. He was like talking from an engineering standpoint. Wow. And his reverence for Highway to Hell after knowing how much he hated rock music, that always stuck with me. That's so interesting that he hated rock music that much, but but not Highway to Hell. Like, Well, he was just like, that's just one of the best recorded albums ever. Yeah. I, I guess yeah. he was coming at it more like technically like the sound of it. Like it was just recorded so well. well wait till he hears, hears Black, Back in Black. <laughs> <laughs> He's still, yeah, I'm still waiting for him to listen to that um, yeah, yeah. album. So. We'll go find him in Baltimore one day. All right, David Bill writes in and says, wanted to see what you guys thought about the trend of cancellations with Nine Inch Nail canceling Louder Than Life. I bought tickets for this, assuming all would be getting better by the time September came around, but all signs point that things are very much not getting better. I appreciate them implementing the vaccination and negative uh, test policy. I'm vaxxed AF myself, but that gives me little assurance that all will be safe around that large gathering of people. For one thing, I don't trust them to fully vet entry. At this time, they're completely denying refund requests. Uh, of course, I want to see two days of Metallica, but I don't want to bring anything back to my children who are too young to be vaccinated or my workplace. From your standpoint of touring musicians, I imagine you want the shows to go on, but as a healthcare worker, I'm feeling very uncomfortable in that crowd. Suppose I could just take the loss, but doesn't the festival have a responsibility to offer refunds when a headliner cancels? The rules have changed and infection rates are accelerating. Thanks, David in Illinois. Hmm. Well, touchy, touchy subject. Sure, sure. Um, I'll I'll start by saying <laughs> okay. I'm surprised they don't have some kind of refund policy. That's really interesting. I, I yeah, don't they know, don't. I don't know why, but that now, is especially yeah. with someone canceling and and the things with the virus and whatnot. But um, yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what they have for the the December show, the 40th anniversary shows, is because I bought these with our tickets is insurance. Yeah. Um. So if for whatever reason we can't go because of touring, we will get refunded. I don't know if Louder Than Life offered that. Mm-hmm. Um. It sounds like maybe they didn't, but. I do know that when I got our Louder Than Life tickets, it was in the print. I mean, they said no refunds. Yeah. So you are buying the ticket knowing that. I, I, I do think they should offer them if headliners drop out, but if if, if the contract says one thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, did I interrupt your train of thought? Were you going to say something No, else? no, no, not at all. I was, I was, I was, I was listening to you with... Uh, with arms uh, wide open? With, exa- with ears wide open. Under the star <laughs> You know, as, I think as far as like, uh, I mean, now listen, you're a health, healthcare worker. I am not. I am a guitar player. But 
I'm with you in, in feel, maybe feeling a little uncomfortable with that amount of people. I would say that probably the positive is that you're at an outdoor festival. As tempting as it is, you don't have to be crowded in there with everybody or trying to get to the rail or something like that. Like I would maybe even just stand back, you know, and still enjoy the show and maybe be a little away from people if, if, if you're uncomfortable. Well, and I can tell you this, man, we quit, we quit working for 18 months and yeah. you know, the, the music community, it, and it's not even like, it's not even like some rogue people were touring. Now I know a couple of, I know a couple of festivals happen like that Smash Mouth played, but for the most <laughs> nice. part, our entire industry touring industry completely stopped yeah and we did everything we had to do and you know now that there's a different variant and you know people are deciding not to get vaccinated and i understand all of the implications but the way that my wife and i my family have looked at it and i've got a seven-year-old that's not vaccinated also you know like she goes to school we worry about it yeah but the way i look at it is i got vaccinated i quit working for almost two years I want to play these goddamn shows. Yeah, exactly. We, I mean, it's 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 survival. You know, like people like Clint and I, we couldn't survive another eighteen months with no. Work. Well, and there's no more unemployment. Like so, right. you know, for for a little bit of that time, and believe me, it wasn't a lot. No, it's not. Um, but there was some un state unemployment that was, you know, it helped us pay some bills. Mm -hmm. But that's no longer even available. No, no, no. I mean, so, even even. Uh, the maximum it, just in Tennessee, not and not even with a stimulus amount of money attached to it. I can't even get on again until January if I wanted to. So I think what part of David's question is is like, do art? Do we have a responsibility? You know, like I think I think someone like Jason Isbell, who we're doing a show with next week, mm -hmm. uh, an artist I admire, and several people in his band are our friends and all this stuff. Um, you know, there there are precautions and and there this this proof of vaccination or negative test. I think is great. I support that. I know people are really upset about it, but I think that's just artists are trying to do things to mitigate danger without go, going back into our houses for another two years. Like yeah, we exactly. Can't, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't fucking do it. And honestly, I think I, I have a lot. I've had a lot of conversations uh, with with friends about this around around Nashville and stuff like that. And is it the perfect solution? No. Um, are there options for people that don't want to get a vaccine? Yes, there are. So to me, this is this is the most common sense way to move forward and still try to put on these shows. I think artists like Nine Inch Nails or, or um, I just saw someone else cancel the rest of the year, whoever it was. Anyways. Dinosaur Jr. just did. Dinosaur Jr. did, yeah. I think the artists out there that it's, I'll, how do I put this? It's probably easier for someone that to cancel the rest of their year that can afford to. Yeah, sure. I can't afford to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and that's clear. Like, and also those bigger bands, they they also are incurring more responsibility because their their shows attract more people. Mm -hmm, sure. Now we're playing clubs with you know anywhere from two hundred to a thousand people, which is no joke. That's a lot of people. Sure. But but if the clubs are are trying to be safe and and have people you know wear masks or show vaccination or negative tests, that's the way we got to move forward. Because yeah. Now. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I, obviously, people not dying is more important than playing music. But sure, we can't just we can't sit around again like that. I'm just telling you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah, and 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 also too, I mean, it, it, it's worth you know noting that a lot of things behind the scenes. You know, there's a lot of things that are going in place. Like you know, we're probably not going to have guests come on the bus or backstage, and a lot of bands are kind of creating these bubbles backstage so that they can continue to bring live music to people. Yeah, we're going to basically be traveling in a bubble. 
Yeah, exactly. Like to go, like I, I love going out and sitting down at a restaurant and eating around the country and favorite places to eat and all that stuff. But it's just not going to happen. I'm just going to call it in, go pick it up real quick, and come back. You know, it's like or and get it artists, delivered, whatever. And and uh, listen, man, these artists at these gigs, they're we're this. I I I had to do it on that acoustic run with Morgan. We're getting tested almost every day. Almost every day, we're shoving this shit up our noses. Um, uh, and all of us are worried about our safety so that we can put these shows on. Mm-hmm, sure. So crowds being, it's like the Bonnaroo crowd being bummed about weather. It's like these crowds complaining about this shit. It's like, look, no one's trying to take your fucking freedoms away. We're trying to work. <laughs> we're so, trying to work and give you live so, music. And we're back there. It's not like we're back there enjoying it all. We're back there. We're going to be in New York City trapped on our bus unable to go out and go to a record store or go out and get some food or see our buddies mm-hmm. because we want to keep working. So yeah. we all need to just, we all need to get over ourselves and do yes. it together. We just all need get, to fucking come together, man. Come together right now. Over, Steve. over pizza. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you know, we, we had, that was a bit of a minefield, but uh, we walked through it. All right. Thank you, David. One more email. Last email is from Brian Gibbons. Are you related to Billy? What? What? Is this his Sharp dad? dress Stan. <laughs> uh, quick, short email. Just wanted to say that the latest episode with Avi was outstanding in all caps. Such a great conversation. Thanks for all that you do. All the best, Brian. Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Maybe that's Brian Gibbons Johnson. Brian Gibbons. Hold on. Brian Billy Gibbons Johnson, senior. Esquire. Here's the deal. I like a nice short email that praises us. That's my favorite email. Is it egotistical? Yes. Um, does it feel good? Oh, yeah. I'm just saying, as, as a matter of my personal opinion, my favorite emails are the ones that are short and that praise us. <laughs> exactly. That, that's just my favorite one. That's praise it. be to Clinton Ethan. I mean, write in whatever you want, but that's just one of my favorite ones. Yeah. No pressure. I, uh, I, I, had a, um, I was having like, well, when we were doing our session a couple weeks ago or whatever, whenever it was, yeah. um, I was having some allergies, so my nose was kind of stuffed up, and I did my Bob podcast, and someone actually took the time to write in. They were like, I hope, you're, I hope your cold is better. You sounded really terrible on that episode. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> thanks. See, now, that email didn't like it so much. I didn't like that. It doesn't feel as good as, <laughs> it wasn't, you know. It wasn't my favorite email. (laughs) It wasn't telling me thank you for all the hard work. Oh my gosh. Well, anyway, it's metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. And again, I'm telling you what my favorite kind of email is, but you can write in whatever you want. You can ask us any questions. You can talk about Metallica. Um, The emails are just a fun, they're almost little mini tangent cities, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. Yeah. And and listen, we're, we're, we just finished the garlic knots. We're about to move on to the main course, you guys. I hope you're ready for some Paul DeCarly pasta. Because it's coming. Uh, uh, angel hair or? <laughs> <laughs> is it panay or is it angel hair? Or is it just classic spaghetti? Or the classic elbow. Oh, elbow pasta, yes. Mm. yes. There's some Paul de Carly cheese sauce upon Quite. it. Quite. Quite. Well, let's do that, and then maybe we'll be back for some dessert after we have maybe. a conversation with Paul. <laughs> All right, well, you know, without further ado, you heard him last week. You know his deal. He's one, of, he's one of my favorite guests that we've ever had. I love talking to Paul. Let's hear part two, and then we'll come say bye afterwards. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. 
Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. One of the questions I had for you talking about all this stuff is that we don't really hear much about Randy. Like, What was it like working with him? What was his vibe like in the studio? Randy is a great guy. Got amazing ears. He, does, he records great. He mixes great. He's a fantastic guy. Great hang. You know, just a basic Canadian dude who, you know, when, when when we Canadians get together being displaced in America, you sort of gravitate to each other. You find another Canadian and you're like, oh, cool. We're, you know, who's your hockey <laughs> team and and that sort of thing. And who were your favorite Canadian bands growing up? And so Randy's just a really good hang. We've worked on a little, a bunch of stuff that doesn't, you you know, I don't even think, I don't even know if I got credit on the um, uh, cunning stunts. I, I flew up to Vancouver when he was mixing that just to do uh, drum samples and explosion uh, enhancements and the stage <laughs> blowing up. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy. That's where I met my wife. She was the receptionist at the studio, met her the first time there. And uh, Randy, again, just hanging out with Randy is always fun. That's awesome. so cool. When you when you add explosive sounds and mm-hmm. stuff, are you as an engineer or as an editor, are you just finding like stock you know, public domain samples of that, or are you actually blowing shit up? <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're going with sound <laughs> effects libraries for the, uh, when, when, I mean, generally with pyro, uh, the pyro I had done on some of the live, uh, the box set, I think I got, I, I can't remember which sound effects library. It was probably like a real ancient sound effects library, just, you know, cannons and, and, you know, mortars and things like that, especially for one, you know, when, mm-hmm. and it's exactly what they need to be. And when you're supplementing, you're just a blast pyro in the, in the thing, you can find some good sounds when it came to the, the stage destruction in, um, cunning stunts. And I always have to pause before I say the title, make sure I get it right. <laughs> right. I, I saw that it was a lot of stuff I needed. So I called a good friend of mine, Charlie Klauser, who was a keyboard player for nine inch nails. Now is very, very, uh, successful with his, uh, movie score work. He did all the sound, all the, mo- all the saw movies. He's done the scores for all those movies. He's done a whole bunch of oh, other wow. stuff. Yeah, he's really a great, a good friend. Who, who? Yeah, I said to him, "Listen, do you have anything you can throw me?" He threw me a huge library of uh, 
every type of weapon that makes a bang that you can imagine. And I put a lot of that stuff in just, and it was wow. fun to do because I had video to sync it to. So I could look at where the flash occurs and put in a howitzer right there and stuff like that. Was it given to you on like a hard drive or at that time? Or I think, I think we worked over the internet at that time. It was early enough that we okay. could, we could, uh, we could, stream stuff over the internet uh you know internet speeds have been improving where they're at the point now where i can live in a completely different city than the people i'm working for and throw gigabytes uh hundreds of gigabytes over the internet in just a few minutes so yeah, back then it was a little slower but that's how it was done so i've got to imagine and, and looking at your all music credits is just so impressive but so after you do load and i know you were on some of the metallic albums after we'll talk about that but was your resume starting to make its way around the LA, you know, digital editing scene? I know that you did Fleetwood Mac, you did Nine Inch Nails, The Fragile, Rob Zombie and stuff like that, Motley Crue, Generation Swine. What was your career looking like in wake of the Metallica work you were doing? It got real busy, yeah. Soon after that, Pro Tools came out with a new version that was a 24-bit compatible, so everyone was really excited about the sound quality going up, and they were getting their stuff together, and it was no longer as slow as Slow Tools in the early days. Um, they also did something that was really beneficial to me, which was they lowered the cost of it. And they, they made it a little bit more affordable to get into a system. That really worked for me because everyone and their cousin went out and bought a system but didn't know how to use it. And I spent a lot of time getting called on gigs that people thought they were going to be able to do and didn't really know what they were doing. And so I got a lot of phone calls. Hey, this guy screwed up our record. Can you come in and redo it or whatnot? So there was tons of work, not only from uh, just my general circle of people I'd already worked for, but a lot of new people started coming in because they were like, oh, man, we, we, we kind of went all in on trying to do this in Pro Tools and we need someone who actually really knows what they're doing. So I got a lot of work that way, too. Sometimes you got you got to put out the uh, the Captain Midnight bat signal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. A lot of it's word of mouth, too. I'm really I'm really grateful for all the people I worked with um, who, you know, the word of mouth gets out there. It's like, oh, and I know this guy. I heard that this guy kind of thing. I never had a manager i was going to ask you that i was going to does someone in your position at that point working at that level do most people do they get like an agent or a manager who helps find them work or uh, yeah managers are really important in the music business i mean they got to go out and shop your skills everybody's got a manager no matter how, how you know to negotiate deals and what and i was just so lucky i mean back to the early days even before uh, you know before the before load certainly working side by side with Scott Humphrey who was really running the show on knowing people and getting me introduced to people there was a period of time that most of him and his people that he worked with and the whole Canadian conspiracy we were all really doing a lot of work at A&M studios before it turned into Henson Studios uh, in in the heart of Hollywood great amazing facility the great spot we'd be working on a job in a studio at A&M and it would be uh, finishing up and uh, someone down the hall would be, you know, hey, I heard you guys do Pro Tools. Can you come work on our project? Yeah, yeah, get another gig. And we would never, there was probably a period of six months where my editing rig never left the studio. I mean, I'd pack it all up and call the cartridge guys to come pick it up. And before I know it, I'm canceling them I'm going, no, I've got another gig in Studio D and just roll down the hallway. Wow. And it was a fantastic, I love those days because working with Jonathan Little and Mark Tyndall, who were two of the, uh, the uh, main techs uh, at that, I learned so much. They had, you know, we're talking world-class technical guys who knew how to fix stuff and taught me stuff. And I remember spending all night up, all night one night with Jonathan Little trying to track down just a single digital tick, 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 tick that was happening on one channel of the Pro Tools rig. And he was convinced it was my Pro Tools rig and I was convinced it was the tape machine. And we 
I figured out how to troubleshoot and spent the whole night taking it. Okay, we're going to replace this cable. Now we're going to do the full experiment. Okay, now we're going to replace that cable. And it got all the way down to a single digital card on the tape machine. Swapped that out. Everything got good. Took, you know, 11 hours to figure that out. But I learned a lot. <laughs> I'm really fascinated with that time too, Paul. I, I really think it's it was like a wild west of recording technology. And I actually think that it's going to, as time goes on, become a more and more important era of music. And I think they're going to make some documentaries about it. And you're probably going to be asked to be in some of them. I'm surprised they actually haven't. I guess because we're still so close to it. But the more I talk to, to people like you who do, were doing that work kind of on the cutting edge of it, the more fascinating it is to me. It's just such a fascinating time in music. For sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I say, it was, it was really weird because it was really that, are we doing an analog recording or are we doing a digital recording well there's digital machines and there's analog tape and all the outboard gears analog we certainly were not using any digital plugins uh to do right. anything everything was outboard and so it was these meetings of the minds you know these these engineers and producers who had decades of experience doing everything in in what i'll call the real world and uh young snot nose kids like me coming in with a computer rig who was learning from them and saying, oh, you want me to make this happen that way? Okay, this is how I would do it on the computer. And, you know, when Garth Richardson taught me how, basically showed me, physically showed me how they cut tape and how they move a drum either earlier or later in time, I just took me two minutes to realize how to do it in Pro Tools a uh, hundred times faster. And it really, that, that was the snowball that turned into the avalanche for digital editing for me. Wow. Were there a lot of people clamoring to, I mean, once you kind of realize it was basically just inherent job security, were there a lot of people that were like, I need to get in on this Pro Tools? Yeah. Stuff? And like, like I say, a lot of people, when, when Pro Tools, when the, when the price came down, a lot of people really jumped into it. And, and also Pro Tools and also, I mean, all digital editing, like you, you use Logic, you know, Logic and, and, mm -hmm. and other Cubase audio and, and, and uh, digital performer at the time, all these software digital audio workstations really started taking off and people realized that oh, you know, maybe we can't do our whole album on this, but we could certainly do a demo. And then they realized, wow, those vocals really worked. We can take the d vocals off the demo and use them on the real album or maybe the mm -hmm. drums or something. It started to put production into the hands of the public way more than it being sort of an elitist. You have to pay $2,000 a day just for the space, let alone the engineer and, and maybe the rental of some gear. It was the beginning of that opening up for everybody. Well, let's talk about the albums that came after. So how much did you have to do with Reload, Garage Inc., etc.? Well, again, the basis for most, if not all of the songs on Reload, I had started on. Uh, you know, right. they, they, had, they had started at least in some basic editing, some basic song assembly on the Load project. Maybe there were a few that hadn't. Um, at that point, I should also say, so basically, uh, uh, when we were doing Load, um, it got to a point where things were just getting so, like I say, we're doubling up on everything. So Bob saw that I was getting maybe three, four hours of sleep a night and said, listen, you know, i got a brother-in-law, his name's Mike. Uh, maybe he can come in and, and help you out on some of this. And I said, yeah, great, bring him in. And Mike uh, was a quick learner and and I showed him our workflow and he was able to pick up and, and help me out with that. So by the time it came to Reload, it was some event and I bumped into Lars at some music event. I can't remember what it was. Um, and he was like, Hey, we're starting, uh, we're starting the new record in whatever it was, three, four months. Uh, are you on board? And I said, I said, I love you, but I cannot, I can't dedicate another year of my life uh, to doing just one thing. I hope you understand that. And he was super cool. He said, I totally get it. And, and so we agreed that I wasn't going to be 
coming in on reload. And luckily, uh, Mike had the, had uh, honed his skills working with Bob uh, directly through that whole time that he was going to take on the role as the main Pro Tools guy. Great. Good for him. But I did get a phone call at some point when they were reaching, they were staring at that brick wall known as the mastering date when they were working on reload. And they said, hey, man, we need another set of hands. I said, sure, I'd love to come up to Sausalito and work for, I think it might have been a month, maybe less, uh, just to put those loose ends, you know, get those extra things they needed, uh, you know, another set of hands and another Pro Tools rig to do. So I only worked on a little bit of that. I remember hearing those songs almost at a completed level i was blown away by the memory remains i remember that was the one that just blew my mind that they got marianne faithful singing on that i thought i would never see something like that i was super happy to hear them you know reaching those new levels uh super impressed with all that and it was a lot easier on me because i got to walk in hear some stuff that was really good do my bit and and leave without uh, taking a few years off my life and getting a few more gray hairs. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the drums and stuff in the digital editing capacity, but how much were you doing with guitars? Oh, very little. I mean, James Hetfield is the greatest rhythm guitar player on the planet, period. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's very little that he that would ever have to be done to him. I can't recall doing anything on James's guitars. Maybe there was... I think in garage, when I finally got to garage, they were working on some stuff fast and furious. I think I was moving a couple of things around, but absolutely just cleaning up tracks, really. Not even, you know, just making it clean so Randy didn't have to program mutes where there's a little guitar noise that they don't want there or something. Yeah. And one of the cool things about those albums is it's one of the first times that they did more of a like guitar left, guitar right. The guitar on the right's doing something different than the guitar on the, you know, they normally did the James doubling and tripling everything. It was very you know, clean. And <clears throat> I like the idea of like Kirk's doing a weird flangey thing over here. James is doing a more loose bluesy thing over here. I didn't know if that factored into, you know, if there was a philosophy of like mixing or editing that stuff, or if it just sort of came down that way from Bob. No, I think if you listen to the black record, it was mostly left, right and center uh, guitar uh, yeah. rhythm, you know, main guitars, left, right and center. And I think when they, after they did the live stuff, I think they did most of the live stuff, you know, uh, James left Kirk, right. For the most part, uh, and I think they carried on with that with Garage because they wanted Garage to sound kind of off the floor that way and a little bit more that way. But that's all. that was all production decisions, had nothing to do with Pro Tools, had nothing to do with editing. It was just, you know, the way they wanted it to sound. And I think it changed a little bit song to song. But uh, yeah. but you can't go wrong having James as your guitar player. Yes, seriously, yeah, man. I agree. <laughs> His, his, his right hand is no joke. So going into Garage Inc. is completely different than the Load Reload experience, right? Because they, you guys recorded that in a couple of weeks, right? Again, uh, Garage Inc. was the exact same story as Reload. I was not part of it from the get-go. I got called in when they were approaching a deadline. I was asked, can you come down and uh, spend a few weeks, put some loose ends together with an extra set of hands? And that's all it was. I think I only ever worked on two songs on Garage Inc. I, th- I, it was, I was putting together and cleaning up the Fate Medley. And there was, I mean, there was some, a couple of the real burners, uh, real, yeah. real big burners that, that whatever it was, was it merciful fate that had like 14 guitar solos in it? I think that was, it, it was, it was just like, I lived that song for a few days. And wow. so, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, if I had to guess, that sounds like the most challenging one to edit for sure. Again, there wasn't, it wasn't a lot of editing. It was a lot of cleaning up because they wanted to move quickly. They didn't want to spend time going, Oh, well that, that one little note's a little bit this way or that way don't worry about it. Let's move on. And, and, and then when we listened to it and, you know, Bob would come in and listen to it and say there, the, you know, as we're, as we're rolling back there, 
there. And I hear what he's saying. We had a, we had a diet, you know, we had a sort of a shorthand of, yeah, I can hear where, where he's, you know, jumping on the beat a little bit there or, or, or uh, yeah, I hear that snares way behind. We're just going to pull that one up to, rather than have him go and retract drums. That makes a lot right, more sense. Yeah. You are credited in your all music credits just for the single until it sleeps as just an editor. What would that have been? All music isn't always that accurate either. So maybe it's nothing. When they do releases and different releases and single releases, credits get regenerated in different ways. Right. Gotcha. Until It Sleeps was on load probably one of the most difficult to do for various reasons. I remember uh, the snare, snare rolling pattern in the verses. We had about maybe three or 400 of those to choose from and place them in very specifically. There's a lot of work done on that song. There was a lot of work done in the mix where I remember there was just a lot of little tiny tweaks to make it sound the way they wanted it to sound. Cause it was a, it was a bit of a departure sound for them. It's not a typical thing, especially with the quiet verses. And I also remember on that song, it was a lot of, teeth pulling and 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 struggling to get it to where they wanted to be and i remember when that mix was approved we were all we all happened to be in the room just by happenstance and bob uh actually thanked several people myself being one of them and a couple of the other guys for our extra work on that song um hmm. you know kudos to bob he's a real mensch he's a really good guy he he gives credit uh unnecessarily he just like you know he didn't need to do that but he right. he did it in front of the band letting the band know hey these guys really went the extra mile to make this thing happen so i appreciate uh, everything i've ever you know i'll always work for bob i'll say That's yes cool. to any phone call from bob wow and then snm i'm guessing same deal they brought you in sort of just to help you obviously have a lot of expertise you're on hand you know the band and crew you know the workflow blah blah, blah. yep snm was i uh, came in really on the 11th hour uh, that was a very short gig for me maybe three weeks uh, compared to how much time they spent on I don't even know how much time they spent on it, you know, from inception to, to completion. But I do remember we were getting we were getting a deadline uh, where tapes had to be flown to New York to be mastered. That was the first one they were doing in 5.1. My main thing on that one, especially near the last couple of days at nights, was putting all the 5.1 stems, because every so every song as it's been mixed has six tracks, 5.1 plus a stereo pair. Uh, so you're up to uh, eight tracks of everything for every song. And we were sequencing it, making it sure all fit together uh, and doing playback for James and the band, making sure that every transition worked the way it was supposed to and getting everything done. And my takeaway memory from those last few days was that was one of the last times I stayed up. I think I was up for at least 38 hours straight, finishing that one up. And at the end of that, got it sent away and went back to the hotel for me, went back to the hotel, grabbed, I was at 10 o'clock in the morning going to sleep, grabbed about six hours sleep, woke up, looked in the mirror. And I kid you not, I had a patch of gray hair in my beard that wasn't there when I had gone to sleep. <laughs> and that was the moment I realized, okay, I can't, you know, I'm too old for staying up all night. I'll do it for myself. If it's, if it's my own production, I'll stay up all night to do it. But it really, that was one where it really took a toll on me. But you know, you got to do what you got to do. For me, the gray patches in my beard started after I had my daughter, after we got, after we became parents. I was like, <laughs> that accelerated my gray big time, dude. Yep. What's the longest you've ever stayed awake? Man, that's a good question. I mean, I'm interested without, in your answer too, Ethan. Without, without uh, influences? Without major influences other than coffee. Maybe 30 hours. I don't know. A little over a day. 
Yeah. What yeah. about you, Ethan? I think I, I probably hover around the 36-hour mark. But, I mean, I have that's probably that was probably my 20s. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's you know the I mean? age thing. When I was... I would have been still in my twenties and, and it was the, uh, it was the, uh, kiss alive three thing. Um, I got brought in again on the 11th hour. Uh, that was a real interesting gig. They were doing a mix and, and, um, they were mixing to analog. They wanted to mix down to analog, but they wanted to take different cities and transition them together. So, uh, we had to get it into pro tools at one point, but the only stuff that went into pro tools was from the last note of a song through the crowds, into the first note of the next song and then it was again purely analog so we would take those crowds uh transitions load them all into pro tools i would do the transition in pro tools put it back on tape and then they do a tape edit so that all the music never hit digital but only the transitions hit digital which i think was really cool forward thinking just so you could make the crowd sound huge Is no that no no the- it was it was just so that you could transition from a song from Detroit going into a song to St. Louis gotcha, without, gotcha. without it sounding like an edit point. We could train, uh, we could crossfade it, take a uh, band talking things from different things in the transitions, but the music was all analog. That one, we were heading to a deadline, deadline, deadline. I had been up for an unbelievable amount of hours and they had taken it off to mastering. And when they got to mastering, they realized that a mistake had been made and they had done it wrong order of songs and uh, the assistant engineer had already and i had already started breaking down the control room we got a phone call set it all back up we're coming back we have to do one more (laughs) got back fixed it all up then broke down the thing and went home and at that point i was up for 56 hours 56 (laughs) hours is that your record yeah that's that's uh, I don't want you to ever break that record, please. Yeah, that's not a record you want to break. I should say 56 hours. Another little anecdote from that one, because I, I, it's a pretty funny little thing. Um, Eddie Kramer was the engineer on that project. Much respect to him. You know, prolific. Old, you know, he, he engineered, you know, he recorded Woodstock. Come on, you know, yeah, you got to yeah, give right. that some props. Hen- and he did Hendrix. and. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we had to do the reset, the last thing that had to happen in this show that they were doing was they wanted to put, he wanted to put a, a, a synthesizer sub sound on the very last note of the show. There's a pyro already there. The band hits the chord, but he wanted an extra oomph in that last note. So I had a synthesizer set up. I had been awake for 40 something hours at this point and everyone's facing the front of the room. I'm at the back of the room and I'm waiting to hit the note and Eddie being an old school performance based engineer producer he rolls back like a minute and a half to play into this part and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and the moment comes when it's supposed to happen and it doesn't happen and everyone whips around to look at me and i'm sitting there asleep <laughs> luckily i was woken up by their laughter and not a coffee cup being thrust at my head and he's like you okay i said yeah do me a favor, Eddie, can you just roll back 10 seconds? I can get this. And it rolled right. up. I hit it and everyone was happy, went away thinking it was done. And then it wasn't. You've had good luck with w- waking up in public with like, you know, that's true. No sharpie on your face yeah. and stuff. That's true. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was an event. I, I, I mean, I know it was kind of a joke, but that also goes to show that people do recognize and, uh, you know, it doesn't go and notice that you are a hard worker and do a kick-ass job. Cause if you're, if you're asleep, they're like, let him sleep. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. true. This time they had to get a go. They had to, they, you know, I'm glad I was woken up by laughter. Like I said, I, I, I was embarrassed. I was super embarrassed at the time, but I can laugh at it now. Yeah, it's good. When you look back at your work with Metallica, that sort of 90 stretch, uh, are you able to hear it now and, and, and be like, wow, I was really a part of some really cool shit. Oh, absolutely. Did you, did you take a big break from it for a while? There's some songs I can't listen to at all. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> like anything, the songs I, the songs I worked the least on, obviously I can, I can listen to those. Some of the live songs I have trouble listening to because they were, I mean, think about the three box sets that I worked on plus, uh, well, you know, um, the, the live thing I worked on with Randy and I mean, there's so much stuff I've worked on that I don't have to listen to that song again. Really, unless I see a new version of them doing it live, sometimes that's yeah. really exciting. Like I can always listen to the Four Horsemen. Yeah, if it's a new ver- if it's a new version, I'll, I'll I, I think that's my favorite live Metallica song. I really learned to appreciate them as a band. I love some of their newest stuff. Uh, I think Hardwired is possibly one of their best songs ever. Maybe awesome. The whole record's killer. Yeah. yeah, I love the way they open up their new shows, their 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 shows with that, with the recording, and then they bang into it live it's i think that's a that's a that's a super metallica thing to do it's just it's really good i love it did you go see them on any of their tours if they came through texas are you friendly or do you go backstage and say hi what's your relationship like with them now i try not to push that nah you know i mean when they came through a few years ago i was like i I happened to know that i didn't have anything to do um i contact i'm friends with frank uh one of their guys uh on facebook i was like hey dude you know rolling through austin uh can you throw me a pass or a ticket I didn't even ask for a pass. He goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I went and saw the show, appreciated it. I didn't try and get backstage. I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. I used to be that guy. I got to admit. And then, you know, in hindsight, as we get older, we like, yeah, be the fly on the wall. Don't be the guy. Sure. That's, you know, <laughs> don't be the punter. So I bet I'm very happy that, of all of their success. And like I say, we're, we, we've all, we've left on good terms. I mean, if, you know, if, if I got locked up and my first phone call was Lars, he'd, he'd know whose call he was refusing. Let's put it that way. You know, we're, we're on fine terms, <laughs> but if we, we bumped in together, we'd hug and, and, and have some, some memories, but, uh, I don't pretend that we're buddies. What was it like working on the echo brain stuff? That was really cool. Were you aware of sort of all the Metallica drama, the sort of the cloud around that project with Jason? Yeah. Yeah. It was going on right then. Echo brain. I got the gig because, so Jason wanted to use Brian Dobbs, uh, the assistant engineer on all the Metallica's. He wanted him to, uh, I guess, co-produce it. I don't know what the credits were, but certainly record it and mix it. Brian's got spectacular ears. And uh, Brian asked me to be part of it. The interesting challenges on that one were they didn't want to use any click track. They wanted to play free. And luckily, Brian's a fantastic, uh, Brian Sagrafina is a great drummer really great feel there was no click track on any of that record which means you know the tempo's going up and down and right. swaying here and else and so everything had to be sort of organic in that respect and i had to i had to treat that record with a lot of respect as an editor more respect than anything where someone's like oh, wow we want to you know we've got a click track make it work to the click track this was we have to make this work very organically a lot of the stuff that was recorded was recorded i won't say in haste but we didn't have a lot of time to fix certain things when recording, such as guitar amp with a really heavy buzz. There was a few things on that record where I was spending time, you know, using a little bit of software to denoise some things that had been recorded so that they could shine, so that it could be pushed forward in the mix as much without as much noise coming in. And Dylan's vocals were amazing. You know, the very, very little of if anything I had to do to that. So it was, it was a cool hang. Those guys were really cool. Jason was very uh, accommodating. They did it at a, I can't remember the name of the studio. It was up farther north in Sausalito. It was like a compound. Nobody left the compound for the full month or month and a half or whatever it took to record that. I remember I got stuck with the, uh, they all had sleeping accommodations inside the house. And I got a little cabin with no heat in September in Northern California. And I was, I had a space heater and a sleeping bag and 
my shower was unheated water in the wide open with no shower curtain on the balcony of a cabin. So if you were in the house in the kitchen looking down, you got to see me taking a shower. And <laughs> it was fun, though. I, I really enjoyed it. It took me out of my comfort zone, which is, uh, uh, I mean, sometimes I try and pretend that being an editor is having a creative input on the record. And I think that's one of the records where I felt that actually happened because I had to be thinking like a musician and not an editor nearly as much to be respectful to the things they were doing in a different way than a typical record. We were, I know Ethan and I, were. we did a whole episode on that album where we just kind of burnt it down together and really just sort of got introduced to it together. And we were both really surprised at how much we liked it. Yeah. Great sounding album. Really is a great sounding album. Well, the sound, I mean, the mix. And then, you know, after they recorded, we went back to the plant to mix that. And we mixed that in what they then had turned from uh, old crappy mix room where the Seattle box set show was mixed. Still on a very nice SSL, but they turned that into a very high tech mix room. And Brian mixed it there. And there was a lot of attention to the quality going into that mix. Very, very much. Uh, and I think they did a great job making every bit of that record show up in your ears. Uh, there was nothing that was missed. There was nothing that ha didn't have attention paid to it. That's cool. Is there an album that pokes out to you, Metallica or otherwise, that you're most proud of that you kind of look at? Maybe it was a mountain of work or maybe it just came out great or that you still like to listen to. Is there anything that pops out to you in your career that you dig? Well, I got to put load. I mean, I can't say any one, you know, we were talking top three or top five load certainly belongs there. That was a, that was a year of my life, uh, you know, living in two different cities, uh, working with a ton of people who had respect for each other and it all came out really good. So I, I would put load there as far as any other particular record, uh, working for Howard Benson producer, who's still doing a lot of work. We got to work on uh, the My Chemical Romance, technically their second record, but the first record that people are really uh, aware of, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. It's an awesome record. That was a really, really cool record to work on. Again, the band was a really good hang. Gerard is a very cool guy. I got to talk a lot to him about what he wanted his persona to be in the band, because it's kind of a, they're, they're a bit of a comic book band. I don't mean they're fake. But they, but he's a comic artist, and he and I talk a lot too. about. We share uh, one of our favorite films is a old Brian De Palma film called Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, I'm obsessed with that movie. Huge Brian De Palma fan. I love that you just mentioned that movie. I love hang the soundtrack. On, hang on, there's the Phantom of the Paradise movie poster. Dude, get my, out of my here, wife, <laughs> my wife bought me that for. Uh, I can't remember if it was a Christmas or a birthday, but I've got that framed. That's the only one of the only things I've framed. How do we do this in this unique moment, Paul? How do we turn our listeners on to that movie? Because it's strange. It's a musical. Super weird. Uh, early, early to mid seventies. Early seventies. Brian De Palma. All the music is composed by Paul Williams. Paul Williams, yeah. Who uh, also did all the music for the Muppet movies. Right. So you're looking at something weird to begin with. It's the story of Faust done in modern day is also the story of phantom of the opera yeah um winslow was a songwriter who fell in love with a girl and wrote a wonderful opera and paul williams who played swan who is the producer of an evil record company stole his music <laughs> uh, uh mangled his face in a record press and so winslow took over paul williams paradise theater as a entity who was going to kill beef who was the singer hired to sing and perform his music and it gets weirder from there yeah 
and a great performance by Jennifer Harper, by, by the way, too, who I yes. had a major crush on. Well, P- Paul totally sold me, man, because I've never seen it. Dude, you got to see Phantom of the Paradise, dude. And, yeah. and you got to be prepared for something that's very campy, tongue-in-cheek. Love it. It's super weird. And I think I think any real... I mean, and when you listen to the music and how it's played... Man, it's it's a it's a tight, small sound, but though the music is really good. Awesome. I agree. I, awesome. I listen to the soundtrack all the time. That there's a song in there called "Old Souls" that Jennifer Harper sings. That's mm-hmm. just one of my favorite songs of all time. Anyway, okay, a little pause for family. <laughs> so continue whatever you're so saying before uh, that. Ball. Gerard, Gerard and I, I was just gonna say, Gerard and I realized that we both love that, and we would, right. want, and, and we shared our feelings on that, and not that I, I don't think he took too much of that but i think he understood the campy value of that film and brought a little bit of that into uh the the persona of the band for that particular my cam record um and i really enjoyed that that's one of the records i really i can always listen to that record i notice also that you've done some work with our friends hailstorm uh anything notable about making any of those records with them hardest working band in rock and roll when we worked with them on their first record they had been writing and writing and writing forever they were super prepared to come in when I met them and realized that they had toured in a Winnebago till the Winnebago fell apart. And like I say, just the hardest working band. Uh, I think yeah. RJ Hale is one of the most entertaining drummers to watch. Absolutely is. I think it's on YouTube. If you can uh, find them on uh, Jimmy Fallon playing Poison and watch RJ's performance and not think that he was born, a, well, not that he was, a, you know, born again, Carmen Peace. Uh, mixed with John Bonham, I think, uh, I mean, everyone in that band's fantastic. Certainly Lizzie. I mean, we can't, I can't even start to talk about Lizzie and her unbelievable talent. Needless to say, it was an easy, you know, when you work with a band with that much talent and those kind of chops, doing digital editing is a little bit of cleanup, putting some drum samples on and enjoying the ride. Yeah, for sure. Mm. There's, well st- there's, there's still that hardworking too. I mean, anytime I've hung out at, at me and Clint had him on the show a couple of years ago, became friends with them. And, and, uh, anytime I've been at their, their, their home studio, I mean, they're, there's always gear out. They're always working on stuff. Like it's insane how much they work on songs. They're true musicians. There are some people who are rock stars, but they are true musicians. Yeah, agreed. All right. So real quick, as we wrap up here, which thank you so much for your time, by the oh, way, Paul. Oh, my pleasure. It's real, real fun. So you've really seen this whole, from a digital editing, editing perspective, you've really seen the landscape change quite a bit from the early 90s to where it is now. What are your thoughts about, and I know you're still super prolific and really busy in Austin, and you've got a ton of projects you're currently working on. And what's what's the future looking like? Do you have a an optimistic view of you mentioned earlier in the first episode we did something that really resonated with me of like we still love that the human element of music the little mistakes here and there it's where the magic is you know we grew up on records that all the magic in them is almost found in those moments what do you see the landscape of music as it moves more to this like everyone can digitally edit now and they're in their home studio is it gonna is there gonna be a renaissance of people trying to get back to that sort of more raw thing let me start by saying historically i have a horrible track record uh predicting the future uh i'm very (laughs) fortunate to have picked a career and a trade that allows me to keep working but i remember having a conversation with steve duda who's a fantastic uh, artist and software uh, designer and was working with nine inch nails and i was working a little bit with nine inch nails and uh, i was having this conversation with him and trent reznor talking about uh mp3s and this was the beginning you know really the the ending of the cd and mp3 and i remember saying 
not CDs will always be here. You can't get the sound quality with MP3. No one's going to want to spend a whole bunch of time and effort making an album sound great and then bringing it down to an MP3. And I didn't really, I was talking out my ass. I didn't really realize <laughs> that there were already formats better than MP3. But, you know, I was completely, I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, in fact, probably a year and a half later, some of the last big selling CDs were being produced and that was it, you know, yeah. um, everything then going to, to uh, some form of digital download. Uh, that being said, you're always going to see, you're always going to see fluctuations. I mean, the biggest one, especially at the beginning of my career would have been uh, Nirvana breaking. Grunge was actually at the end of its, when, when Nirvana broke right at the end of grunge, gave it an extra few years. But Seattle scene was always there, had been there for a decade, mm -hmm. uh, trying to trying to do what the hair metal bands weren't doing. It was a throwback to, no, we're going to get on stage with three or four guys and we're going to play and we're going to make it sound however we want to make it sound. And the records had a real raw element to it. Uh, and there wasn't really Pro Tools to be sp spoken of, maybe some a few tricks here and there. A few bands like Rage Against the Machine, Rage Against Machine's first record uh, was done uh, very uh, down to earth. And it, it was also a throw, throwing towards rawness, really putting, you know, again, glitzy and slick metal sort of aside. We could be due for that again. I think we had a little bit of that with the White Stripes. I really respect Jack White. He wants there to be mistakes. He wants to put instruments in his own hands that are difficult to play. So, you know, he, he wants to push those envelopes, even with his current band. Even though it does sound very slick, it's very real. But I think there's always going to be a vein of music that's uh, pop and dance and electronica and the new technology, you know, digital technologies, not only pro tools, but different DAWs and different softwares allow people to do things that make them happy. And there's, you don't have to like one type of music. And while I can listen to dead mouse and really love the mathematical precision of that electronic music, I also can listen to, like I say, any any of these any punk band uh, who's just making making noise and making a, making a good song, if it makes me feel something, I'll listen to it. Yeah, right on. Preach, preach it, man. Amen, brother. I just wanted to just a, a quick summary of of your experience working with Neil King on Dookie because I I ended up one of my bands I was in. He produced a record for us in uh, in the year two thousand. But Neil, I loved working with, and uh, he told me a bunch of great Dookie stories. Well, Dookie's a funny one. Um, and yeah, because uh, he engineered that, I believe. One of the things about being a digital editor, especially back in the day, I was sort of a utility being used a lot of the time by record companies, managements, producers, where the band wasn't really involved. I never set foot on Dookie. I never oh, wow. set foot in the studio. Dookie was released. The first few singles had come out real good. And then they wanted to bring out the single, uh, When I Come Around which is a little bit different uh, than the punk, you know, the punk singles that had been before it. Sure. Um, I was contacted through various channels to basically say, Hey, we want to release this single, but the sound is a little lurchy. You know, it's like, uh, it's not an even flow through some of the verse. Is that something we heard? You could fix that. I said, well, yeah. Now I'm thinking in my head, get the 24 tracks in, do an editing job, do a remix. And I started talking to them on that level. They're like, Oh no, 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 no. We've got a stereo mix. Can you can you make it sound better? <laughs> wow. And I said, I don't know. Maybe I can. Maybe I can't. Let me try. So they sent me a dat tape. Remember those dat? Oh yeah. yeah. Sent me a dat tape with a song on it. Loaded it into Pro Tools. 
sat and listened to it, and I heard what they heard, which is you know, kind of an uneven, but it's very natural. But yeah. they wanted this to be a single. They wanted this to be very radio friendly. They wanted, you know, young kids to be able to tap their foot to it, you know. So I kind of went to the old school tape editing method. I was like, okay, well, that hit. My lucky thing is there's three guys in the band and they're all kind of playing together. You know, they're they're locked together. So if I hear a downbeat that's late, theoretically, I can take space out before that downbeat, move everything up and put a little crossfade in it. But I got to be really careful about how much I'm doing that. So I did little tiny, tiny, tiny edits. I'm talking three, four milliseconds, which is a blink of an eye. And I did a bunch of them and I did a bunch. I just kept listening and listening and listening and doing it, doing it. And generally I was actually pushing things back in time because the elements were being rushed mostly. So I'm pushing things back in time and making the song longer by these tiny increments and putting a little crossfade in. And I did it to the point where it was, it sounded smoother in those few spots where it was a little bit rushed, delivered it. They loved it. They released it as a single. And if you were to take and if you found an original issue CD of Dookie and put that song up on and recorded that into a digital audio workstation and took a later F, uh, pressing of the CD of Dookie or the single and put them side by side, they would slowly go out of sync. And the one I did would end up being a longer song, wow. slightly longer by a few seconds. Interesting. That's so crazy that you didn't have, you weren't even in the studio. So I guess you'd never even worked with Neil. <laughs> nope. Never worked with Neil. I knew uh, Rob Cavallo, uh, who yeah. was the executive producer on that. He used me on a couple of other things. Rob was really cool the way he worked. He, he would send me a pick any band that he worked on that I worked on and throw me all the vocals. And I would tune all the vocals. This is before auto tune doing different methods of, tuning and tweaking the vocals and then he would put it all up in his studio listen to the original and he would just punch in words where he needed them so 99 percent of my work was never heard wow he just used it as i need a better word there it's on that other track that paul worked on let's fly it over so you know i have no idea very very little uh, of what work i did for him ended up on the records his records sound great so it doesn't matter. Right. Another tenuous connection to Rob Cavallo. He also produced a really great Dave Matthews band record. Our listeners love when I find a way to shoehorn <laughs> Dave Matthews in. Oh, is I'm it, a huge it, Dave it, Matthews it, fan. Is it the Dave Matthews drinking game? We, we take a shot when you mention Dave Matthews. <laughs> it, it, it'll be that soon. Soon enough. <laughs> we should yeah. start one. Yeah, for sure. Well, Paul, I mean, your work means a lot to me, dude. I grew up seeing your name in, in the liner notes. When I close, I mean, I'm in my mid-30s, so I'm of a certain age of Metallica fan. When I close my eyes, my image of those guys is from Binge and Purge, first of all. And Load, Reload, those albums you worked on, especially Load, are some of just the most important recordings of my life. And I do music now for a living, and who knows if that would have even happened if I hadn't have heard that album. So I appreciate the work you've done uh, very much with Metallica. Oh, well, I'm, I'm flattered to hear you say that. I'm glad that I was able to be part of something that we were able to keep as real as possible. I mean, that's the thing I always get, I get, you know, I've had to, I've had to justify my job to some people. Sometimes a lot of people uh, will say, yeah, you do pro tools, you ruin music, man. And I really, I love knowing that there's, when, when I'm worked on something that you'd never know there was pro tools on it or that the band is happy with. And then at the end of the day, everyone's happy with it. And I, I like to think that that's been what the Metallica experience has been. And for someone who's a fan to say that they like those things that I worked on, it, it's really flattering. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, I mean, Ethan and I couldn't be more opposite than that. Not only do we, you know, accept all that, we appreciate it, dude. You, you that that stuff is what makes those albums so powerful for sure. So, thank you for taking the time, and I hope we can talk to you again down the line. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, I just want to say you guys have a Patreon, right? Yeah. I want everybody listening to this to join the Patreon if you haven't already, because these guys work hard. They take their stuff seriously, and it's just a way to show your appreciation. Just listening to it isn't enough. I'm going to join the Patreon as soon as I'm off this call, because it's something that I think podcasting and fan appreciation and people getting together and having conversations over the things they love is something that's very important. Talking about self-care, like we were talking about before, it's something that makes you feel good knowing that you're not the only person who likes this. And if you can't find someone in your work or in your school or in your circle of friends who appreciates Metallica as much as you do, being able to come here and listen and talk and take part, uh, it's really important. So please throw these guys some bucks. Mic drop. Uh, yeah, I think you just recorded our next Patreon commercial. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my pleasure, guys. Ooh, yeah. Well, let's add another. Let's add another name to the Sweetie Pie list. Let's just Dude. go ahead and do it. I mean, there's an entire car on the train dedicated to Sweetie Pies, and they're all in it. If there was a Mount Sweetie Pie, would Paul's uh, uh, face be chiseled into it? Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> There's only one answer to that. Of course it would be. Come on, you, you, you honeys. Jeez. Someone wrote in and requested the... They were like, I need you guys pronto to do some more uh, deep cut dives. And they specifically requested load and reload era. So... Ooh, Clint's maybe world. We can, maybe we can dip into that. We also need to finish up these Woodstock uh, episodes. Sure. But we're busy and that's good news. That that's a great good news. thing. Yeah, that's very good news. And I mean, shoot... Can you believe that we're gonna we're gonna both be on tour together and not doing remote episodes? Yeah, I'm excited. Gonna be fun. I'm excited. Well, here's your homework. There's a little bit of homework. That's okay. Uh, go to iTunes, leave us a positive review. In fact, if you just look down in whatever app that you're listening to this podcast, we have show notes. In those show notes are quick hyperlinks to all the things that you need to do. One of them is leaving us a positive review on iTunes. Even if you just do the five stars, you don't have to say anything. Although I like when people write stuff, too. And another thing you can do, another little link down there, is for the Patreon. You can join. You can hop on that hobo train. That's where right. We're all just... You know what we're doing in that little car? Pretty much every evening is we're doing like a uh, like an old-timey hoot nanny. Oh, yeah. Everyone yeah. gathers around in a circle. We pass around a banjo. And uh, we just sing songs until the sun comes up. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, until we hit the next town and pick up the next batch of people. Until we get the next batch of, pe- batch of people. That's right. Um, <clears throat> other things you can do in there, you can RSVP to the Night Between Party on the 25th, and you can find information about how to get all of mine and Ethan's uh, solo records, Lunar Satan. Go pre-order that uh, Golden West album. You can pre-save and, and all that crap, the uh, Lord of the Vampires, which comes out. That's right. And I guess that's it. I, I feel like I... I'm wearing the people out with my. It's okay. The only thing I was gonna, housekeeping. Only thing I was going to add to it is that uh, the another official thing about my record is that when it comes the day it comes out October first digitally that will be the same day you can if you weren't a Kickstarter backer you can pre order the vinyl. Wow. So especially anyone overseas that didn't get a chance to do it. I hope everyone's taking copious notes. Yeah. Well, listen, this is the homework portion, right? We did, we're about to finish dessert. It's time to go home and get to work. Well, let's let them go. Let's let's let the babies out for recess. Let's okay, let them get some fine. sun. Let's let them play on the monkey bars. They know what to do. They do. They know what's going on. They're smart. We have some of the smartest, coolest listeners out there. Uh, yeah, like to- oh, totally. I did. I, I do have actually one more thing to say. Okay, if fine. you've been paying attention, we've been rolling out a Metal Tales every week 
Mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing a Metal Tales a week until the end of the year. So your way to sign up on that list is to join us on Patreon, and we can hear your Metallica story every Thursday, a new Metal Tales. And uh, those are a lot of fun. Yeah, good times, yeah. yeah. Please hop on the Patreon train, like Clint said. Let's, let's knock some more out with you. All right, look, everyone take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. Be good to one another. Rise above. Be excellent to each other. Be excellent to each other. And uh, we'll see you on the flippity floppity. Peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>